Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 42, CBT. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. No, I'm not talking about some weed product. In this week's episode... I explore the interventions collectively known as cognitive behavioral therapy. In full disclosure, I am a medical doctor, not a therapist, so I have absolutely zero formal training, but it's a topic I've followed with great personal and professional interest for some time. CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, is the gold standard treatment in the field of mental health. In the 1960s, it was independently adapted by Albert Ellis in the form of rational emotive behavior therapy and Aaron Beck in the form of cognitive therapy. Thus, CBT, or cognitive behavioral therapy, in this so-called second wave, was born. The first wave of CBT hails from the decade prior, in the classical behavioral and conditioning research, such as the work of B.F. Skinner. Ultimately, going back even further than the behavioralists, CBT is based on the ancient Greco-Roman philosophy of Stoicism, especially the work of the former slave-turned-teacher Epictetus, who lived in the 1st and 2nd centuries CE. The ancient Stoics, starting around 300 BCE, had a keen understanding of human psychology. As they put it, we first experience an impression, which may be a physical sensation, an emotion, or an automatic thought. Then we either do or do not give ascension to that initial automatic impression, based on whether or not we believe it, validate it, or have some faith in the impression by making a value judgment. Then, as a result of judgments we assent triggered by unconscious impressions, we have an impulse to act. This 2300-year-old wisdom is captured in the most common graphical representation of CBT, a triangle with bidirectional arrows between each of the triangle points of feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. That our actions are the result of our feelings and thoughts, and our feelings are the result of our actions and thoughts. Or in the language of the Stoics, Impressions lead to judgments and impulses, which lead to actions. CBT functions as an effective therapeutic tool by focusing on each of these points of the triangle, thoughts, emotions, and action. Specifically, by learning to recognize and challenge any cognitive distortions, identify and address any maladaptive behaviors, and improve emotional regulation, we ultimately learn effective strategies and coping skills to combat the stressors of everyday living that threaten our mental well-being. CBT therapists may operate by helping you identify a specific problem or a challenge, formulate the problem and the need to change, identify any unhelpful patterns of thinking and behavior, 
Then you use some cognitive techniques to modify the unhelpful thinking and behavioral activation to change patterns of unhelpful behavior. One way to frame these interventions is to look at your lived experience as an experiment. Identify variables, make a hypothesis, adjust one of those variables, and evaluate the impact. Given these preliminary conditions, modify this input variable and assess that outcome variable. What are the results of testing some long-held assumptions? Are they even helpful? What are the outcomes of some behavior experiments when you try doing something different? Are the outcomes of some new ways of being, acting, thinking as bad or better than the old ways of being, acting, or thinking? For example, let's say you're concerned with your relationship with food and emotional eating as a way of dealing with stress. Working with a CBT specialist, you may tackle the issue like this. First, notice and evaluate. You can do so by working in reverse. Start by identifying the end behaviors you would like to change, such as stress eating. Then, what are the impulses that trigger that behavior? Such as, I have an impulse to eat a bunch of carbs to feel better. Then, what are the judgments that trigger these impulses? Such as, the only thing I can do to relieve the stress is to eat. Then, what are the impressions that trigger these judgments? Such as, I am too stressed. Then, what are the cues that trigger those impressions? Such as, you find out that your ex is taking his new girlfriend on that dream vacation you've been planning together before the breakup. Having drawn out explicitly the cycle, the habit loop you've always understood implicitly, now evaluate that process. Does each element in that cycle align with the person you want to be or how you want others to remember you by? If not, then challenge the elements that don't resonate with your core values and beliefs and commit to progress by making adjustments. An adjustment in regards to the Q exposure may be to stop following your ex on social media. An adjustment to impressions and judgments may be to challenge some common cognitive distortions, like the all-or-nothing thinking that eating is the only stress relief option that you have. An adjustment in regards to the behavior may be to make a similar substitution when the impulse does arise, such as chewing gum or drinking water instead, or making a dissimilar substitution, such as going out for a walk or calling a friend when the impulse arises. Or in anticipation of the unwanted behavior, avoid the temptation in the first place by intentionally keeping the go-to carbs out of the house. Run these experiments. For instance, what happens to stress eating when you experiment by not having any snacks around the house? Did it work? Or did it backfire because you just ordered takeout instead? What happens to stress eating when you run the experiment of unfollowing certain personalities on social media? A CBT guide may help you learn to run these necessary experiments to test, strengthen, maintain, or enhance ways of being, acting, and thinking that support solving that specific challenging problem or your own well-being overall. That may be one application, to address one specific behavior. CBT may also be applied more broadly in resilience training, not to tackle a single undesirable behavior or outcome, but to build a foundation of healthy coping strategies and mental well-being, whether or not there's a formal diagnosis like anxiety, for example. This may include some specific behavioral activation strategies. For example, among one of the well-studied and effective coping strategies is physical exercise. So part of the homework that one may be assigned as part of a course of CBT may be to engage in some form of exercise. 
Now, since there are no specific rules here about specific activity requirements like a max heart rate target that one might see for cardiovascular health, for instance, the options are endless. And after some initial exploration with the CBT therapist of what activity you may already have experienced getting joy from that you could get back into, or a peek at your bucket list of activities that you've always been intrigued about but never really dipped your toe in, that endless list of options can be narrowed down to something more concrete. A SMART goal of exercise, perhaps, as the homework assignment. SMART here is the acronym, standing for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Time-bound. For example, S. What is the specific form of exercise you decided to try for this week? Is it biking, or Pilates, or skateboarding, or Zumba? M. How can you measure whether you succeeded or not? By yes or no with an attempt? By the time engaged in the activity? By how you feel after? By the level of sweat? A. What steps do you need to take to attain the goal? Do you need a pair of running shoes that fit? Or a buddy to play tennis with? Or a membership to some gym? Or access to parasailing equipment and a boat in the Bahamas? And what is the likelihood that any of these necessary steps will keep you from achieving the activity or exercise goal? R. Is the activity even relevant? If the goal is to engage in physical exercise as one of the tools for coping, as a stress management tool, but you chose as your activity playing chess with your grandfather, while that may be helpful in many ways, is that actually relevant to this specific goal of exercise? And finally, T. What is the time frame for the exercise goal? Do you have a deadline by the end of the week at some point to exercise? Or is it time-specific, like this Thursday at 7.15 a.m., I'm going to walk in my neighborhood for 20 minutes before leaving for work? Another key behavioral target is nutrition. While we'll look at the nutrition landscape in sleep in another episode, there's an ever-expanding literature on the impact that food plays on our mental, not just physical, health. That poor dietary choices don't just affect our waistline, but our cognitive and emotional health as well. We've already discussed this way back in episode 8, that eating more fish and those sweet omega-3 fatty acids is associated with a dramatically lower risk for developing Alzheimer's dementia. But not just memory. We also saw that individuals who ate more vegetables, and to a lesser extent more fruits, had better psychological well-being, higher optimism, higher self-efficacy, lower stress, less depression, less anxiety. So just as with exercise, one can use CBT techniques to tackle a specific challenging problem, like I just can't bring myself to eat a salad and I don't know why. Or the CBT framework can be used in the implementation of healthy nutrition as part of a broader plan for improving resilience and psychological well-being, even if nutritional challenges were not specifically identified by the client as an area of concern. This could follow the same SMART goal framework as we did for exercise. S. Selecting a specific adjustment, a food, a meal, meal timing, or elimination of a particular food or restaurant, etc. M. Measuring success by how many meals in a week were adjusted, or the proportion of calories, or whether a single instance of a nutritional substitution was made or not. A. What steps are necessary, from grocery shopping or availability of different foods, the cost, etc. R. How relevant is the nutritional adjustment? Say swapping sweet potato fries instead of french fries versus swapping a bucket of KFC for a garden salad topped with grilled salmon. And finally, T. What is the time frame to make these adjustments? Within a week? Not till the next grocery run? 
the next time you go out to eat at a restaurant, etc. Another common behavioral target in CBT is increasing exposure to nature. And this is not some earthy, crunchy, tree-hugging Mother Gaia notion. It is clear that modern life, with all of its glory, ease, and benefits, it has left us more separated from the rest of the planet. We literally build walls to separate us from the rest of life. And for good reason. None of us would like dinner guests of wild baboons, cobras, and a billion-strong ant colony. But we are creatures of nature, and separation from nature has costs, a concept known as nature deficit disorder. And we do see significant benefit from greater engagement with nature. And this doesn't mean that you have to pull a Bear grills, get dropped off in the jungle, and struggle to survive on your own. It could be something as simple as engaging with the natural beauty of the earth from waterfalls to the birds of paradise. But most commonly, it involves exposure to natural sunlight and green space. So another homework assignment of CBT, typically not directly tied to a specific challenging problem of not getting enough nature exposure, but a common homework assignment would be to engage in some fashion with nature. And again, this could start with some brainstorming and narrowing things down, or combining it with other goals like exercise or eating. And sometimes it's just a matter of paying a little extra attention during something that you're already doing. Taking an extra 20 seconds when you go to the mailbox to grab the day's delivery by looking up at the sky, the clouds, or trees if you're lucky. Or catching those first rays of sunrise in the morning. Or going for a walk or a jog outside for exercise. Or taking the longer drive to work through the heavily wooded back streets instead of using the highway. And as before, smart goal framework could again be applied to work out a concrete way of increasing that engagement with the natural world. Another common target in CBT is social engagement. This may be related to a specific challenging problem in a social relationship. Or like nutrition, physical activity, and engaging the natural world, a commonly relied on healthy coping mechanism overall. We are seemingly more engaged than ever before, thanks to the rise of technology and social media. But the nature of that interaction is increasingly superficial for most. That with a thousand acquaintances, 150 friends, and five close friends, the depth of relationships can be a pain point for many of us. We are too busy. Pressure to be more productive at work. Pressure to be a more involved helicopter parent. Pressure to stay engaged with hundreds or thousands of social media connections. We are often so busy, we find ourselves at a loss of close human connection. The kind of relationship of deep trust vulnerability and exposure, where that connection outweighs embarrassment or saving face. With more human interactions than ever before in history, we are paradoxically finding ourselves in an epidemic of loneliness. So it should be no surprise that social engagement be yet another staple in the course of CBT. That building and enhancing an effective social network is another healthy coping strategy. And as before, a smart goal format may be applied. Who specifically will you engage in and how? Call your mother, call a good friend for a weekly chat, take the new coworker out for lunch as you wish someone had done for you when you first started. How will you measure success? By an attempt at reaching out? By a pleasant interaction completed? Or by the completion of a coffee date or an outing? What steps do you need to attain success? An updated email address or phone number? Juggling competing work and family schedules between several parties? How relevant is that chat with a coworker about the weather versus a deep dive with your best friend about your fears regarding your son's autism diagnosis in the grand scheme of developing healthy social relations as a stress management tool? And what is the time frame for attempting or completing this outreach? 
Sleep is another common target in CBT for healthy coping. Healthy sleep is integral for healthy living and has a direct and indirect impact on mental health and psychological well-being. But as you know all too well, telling someone to just get a good night's sleep is not quite the same thing as achieving it. But with the help of a CBT guide to keep you accountable, some smart goal framework here could also lend a hand. For instance, you may be asked just to pay attention to or track your sleep for a while. Or maybe episode 23 freaked you out a little bit and now you formulate a plan to start your day at the same time seven days a week. You can set a specific time to wake, measure success by how often you stick to that goal, identify the steps needed to attain that goal, such as your alarm, reaffirm the relevancy of wake timing to sleep health and well-being, and be time-bound by aiming for consistent wake-up time for the upcoming weekend. So in summary, CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, is not some magical elixir that immediately makes all your problems go away. But rather, it is a toolkit of strategies that can help promote healthy skills and coping in the face of life's inevitable challenges. This triangle of thoughts, emotions, actions, each affecting the others, represents the areas of intervention. Identifying common or even automatic thoughts and judgments, scrutinizing assumptions, running experiments to test these automatic thoughts and assumptions, looking at our behavior patterns. Are they desired? Are they skillful? Are they leading to outcomes that you desire in terms of your health and well-being? Then again, running some experiments. What would happen if you adjusted variable X? What is the impact on outcome Y? And was that helpful? Is that more in alignment with your core values? Engaging in more skillful coping strategies like physical activity, healthy nutrition, quality social engagement, immersion in nature, and quality sleep, these can all play a significant role as well. Cognitive behavioral therapy and all its offshoots and related programs in an alphabet soup of ACT, DBT, MBSR, MBCT, CFT, and more, collectively, CBT is the gold standard treatment for a wide range of challenges to mental well-being, including depression, anxiety, and most pertinent here, insomnia. With demonstrated benefits in issues such as hot flashes and menopause, chronic back pain, and even overactive bladder. The key to well-being is understanding our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, where they come from, how they interact, and how we relate to them. And when anything falls short, making adjustments and experimenting to find out what works best for sleep and for the rest of life. Got a little freebie for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet put in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com day. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.